Easter faith is the faith that says Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. And when you have this faith, your eternal future is the Lord. But I want to talk to you this morning and encourage you to have this Easter faith. Hold on to this Easter faith. Because there's lots of things that can challenge our faith in Christ and in the risen Lord. Several years ago, I heard a report on the radio that was interviewing young people who had left the church, they had left the faith, and they talked about the various reasons for, for uh, leaving. And the common theme, there are all sorts of different reasons they gave, but one common element, I think it was in pretty much every story, was suffering. If they had suffered, or somebody they were close to suffered, a mom, a dad, a sibling, a friend, and they had a hard time reconciling faith in God with this experience of suffering, that's a difficult one. I had a friend in, in college who, uh, we were in Bible classes together. We went through all the Bible classes together. We did ministry together. But then after college, he let me know that he had left the faith. He went on a different path. And he sent me an email and told me, explained to me why he had done this. And he had some intellectual issues and intellectual questions. But then he also talked about the hypocrisy that he had seen in the church growing up. And so he he left the faith. He walked away. So there's all sorts of reasons. And one of my favorite characters in, in a novel a pastor, he says, and you can't count this out, he says, uh, I think some people don't just go around looking for reasons not to do. I think that's a factor as well. But it's not easy to, to hang on to the faith. And so I want to encourage you, I encourage you this morning, as we look at this story from John 20, elements of Easter faith. I have four elements, four and a half, but I'll try to keep it pretty much the four. Um, the first thing that we see here that I think is very helpful in this story is that, that the disciples come to faith in different ways and, and at different paces, at different rates. Okay, so for example, when John, the Apostle John, comes to the empty tomb of Jesus and he sees that the tomb is empty, it says in verse 8, then the other disciple, and in the Gospel of John, the other disciple is John. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and he believed. Right at that moment, when he saw the tomb was empty, the, the grave clothes lying there, faith began to bubble up in his heart and in his mind. So, at the empty tomb of Jesus, John, the apostle, believes. What about Peter? We don't, John doesn't report in his gospel what Peter thought. He does report that characteristically of Peter, he plunges headlong into the tomb. Uh, John gets there first, but verse 6 tells us, Then Peter came, calling him, and he went into the tomb. And he saw uh, the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place. Uh, by itself. And the 
did, John doesn't tell us that Peter believed immediately. In fact, the Gospel of Luke says this about Peter. When he saw the tomb was empty, it says he marveled. He went away marveling. I think he was scratching his head trying to figure out what was going on. Somebody said it's like his mind slipped on a banana peel. Whoa, what just happened here? Could it be true that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead? That Jesus Christ really is alive, our Savior, our Master. So we have John at the empty tomb believing. We have Peter marveling. We have Mary Magdalene breathing. She's breathing at the empty tomb of Jesus. At this point in the story, she doesn't yet believe that Christ is risen. John believes Peter marveled. But Mary is, is weeping at the empty tomb of Jesus. She's grieving because her beloved master has died this horrible, horrific death. And now, to add to that indignity, she thinks somebody has stolen the body of her Savior. They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they put him, she says. So the point I want to make is, this is how it is today. There are many paths to coming to faith in Jesus Christ, to faith in the risen Christ. There's a core that we all have to come to. That is, Christ lived a perfect life. Christ died on the cross for our sins. Christ rose again on the third day. That's the core. We all have to come to that confession. But the paths of getting there and the rate at which people get there can be very different. Some people have to reason things out. Some people come to faith very slowly. Some people have a dramatic spiritual sort of experience and they, they come to faith almost immediately. Uh, some, some people seem to have a gift of faith. And uh, there's hardly any doubt that seems to prompt their faith. Other people have to constantly pray, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I have this mustard seed of faith that, I, that I'm holding on to, but I still believe. And I believe that the risen Christ meets us where we're at, and he gives us what we need as we open our lives to him. I think that's encouraging for us. It's encouraging for those we're praying for to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have to realize there's no standard way. There's not a cookie-cutter approach. We have to trust the Lord with the people that we're praying about, that he will open the, the door, and uh, that he will intervene in their life at this time in his way, in a way that fits them, that gives them what they need. So that's encouraging, I think. And it's also encouraging to see that this Easter faith has reasons. There are reasons to believe that Christ is risen. And my whole sermon last year was on that theme. There are reasons to believe he's risen. So I'm not going to preach that again. Uh, glad nobody said amen. <laughs> I'm just going to give you a couple things. I'll just give you a couple things in our reading from our readings today. Um, one is one reason to believe is the fact of the empty tomb. How do you explain it? Where did Jesus' body go? You know, John makes a, a big point about these linen cloths that were there in the empty tomb, and that the face cloth was, was not with the linen cloth, but folded in a place by itself. Now, a grave robber drunk in and took the body of Jesus. They're not going to mess with the grave. So that's part of the evidence here. Now, how do you make sense of this empty tomb and the grave clothes by the way? Some people say, well, the disciples stole the body and they made the whole story up. 
Well, the moment that the disciples go out on the street and start proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, if somebody stole the body in one of the Scots movement, they could have presented the body. But here's the thing with the disciples. Why would they die for a hoax they made? Why would they die for a lie that they invented? The disciples did not live a, to a ripe old age and, uh, and have an easy life and retire at Friendship Village. Now, they lived a difficult life because of their faith in Jesus Christ. They were beaten, they were imprisoned, they were tortured. Some of them died by stoning, some by crucifixion, some by the sword. Only John lived to be an old age in exile. And yet, in the midst of all that suffering, in the midst of that persecution, they did not recant, they didn't give up their testimony, they kept on proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. I think that's another reason to believe that the testimony of the apostles in the face of persecution and martyrdom. But then the transformation of the apostles is an amazing thing as well. You know, when Jesus was arrested, the apostles, the disciples abandoned him. They denied him. They thought it was over. They um, had understood that he was a, a prophet and a miracle worker. They were hoping that he was the Messiah. But when he was crucified, they thought it was all over. But then just a little bit later, we see them. We see it with Peter here in Acts. We see them out in public, on the streets, proclaiming that God raised him from the dead on the third day. How do you account for this transformation of the apostles? I think the best explanation is what the Gospels give us, that they encounter Jesus Christ alive. Jesus Christ risen to new life new and unending life. They didn't encounter a symbol of eternal spring. They didn't um, invoke some sort of memory of Jesus. Uh, they didn't have a mass hallucination. People don't give their lives over to Jesus. No, they encountered Christ with the scars on his hands, on his side. And Christ filled them with His Spirit and empowered them to go out and be a witness. So I think there are good reasons to believe that this great miracle of Easter happened. So we have these objective claims, and, and people can wrestle with these, and they can argue about these sorts of things. Uh, it's not slam-dunk proof. But at the same time that faith has its reasons, objective truth claims are made. Faith also has a personal dimension. That's not a good sign. <laughs> Maybe I should just take this out. <laughs> this is not a symbol of anything, right? <laughs> <laughs>
which means teacher. She heard him call her name, and that made all the difference. And faith has this personal dimension, this subjective element to it. And for some people, that's a problem. Because some people say, well, listen, if you want me to believe in God, I want objective certainty. I want absolute certainty. I want something like mathematical proof and scientific demonstration. But um, there's a Christian theologian named Leslie Nizigan who made this observation about this idea. That people want objective proof at the level of uh, scientific demonstration for the existence of God. He said that idea contains an assumption. Listen to this. It's an assumption that can't be proven. That's what assumptions are. And the assumption is this, that God is not a person. The assumption is that God is, is, is like a mathematical equation that you can figure out. But if God is personal, it intrinsically means that there's a personal element to knowing Him. There's a subjective element to this. The relationship with Him is necessarily personal. And this is what we believe as Christians, that God is personal in His very being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He, out of love, reaches out to us, people made in His image, so that He can have a personal relationship. And we can have a personal relationship with Him that endures forever. So Mary Magdalene had this personal encounter with the risen Christ. He called her by name. She began to believe. And it's interesting, as I was preparing this message this week, I kept hearing... And some of the things that I listen to, the podcasts I listen to, and stuff I pay attention to on social media, I kept hearing stories about how people came to personal faith in God, how Christ called their name. Let me just give you some examples of this. One young man who was an atheist, he said he was wrestling with the question of whether or not Jesus was real. And if, 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 if Jesus and what the gospel said about Jesus were true, and he said especially he was trying to make sense of the idea that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I just did, did not understand that. And how that would be relevant for me, that he would die for my sin. And so he said, as I'm searching for the truth about God, I kept praying, God, reveal yourself to me if you're there. And as I was expecting, he said, a lightning bolt from heaven. But he said, what I got instead was God reactivated my conscience. God reactivated my sense of moral accountability and guilt over some things that I had done that I was suppressing, that I didn't want to think about because it made me feel guilty. And as God began to reactivate my moral conscience, he said, I began to say, God, I need to be forgiven. God, I need to be cleansed. And then I understood the reason for the cross. The, the, the puzzle piece fell into place for this young man. Another person I heard about Again, just this week, he was talking about how Christ spoke to him. And uh, he was not a believer, but his wife became a Christian. And he saw the transformation in his Christian, in his wife's character. And he couldn't deny the change that had happened in his wife. And he said, God, could you do for me what you've done for my wife? And he became a Christian. And then a few months later, his daughter came to him. And he said, I was the kind of dad when I came home. I was grumpy, I was tired, too often there was alcohol in my breath, and the kids would scatter. But after I became a Christian, my character began to change, people started to take notice, and my little girl came up to me and said, Dad, you think God can do for me what he's done for you? See, this is how God still speaks today. 
This is how Christ filled Paul's, our name, through our conscience, through the witness of other Christians and their lives being transformed. There's all sorts of ways in which Christ, the living Christ, still speaks to people. And my prayer today is that, brothers and sisters, you'll hear him saying your name, calling your name, speaking to you, encouraging you in the faith that he's alive, he's active in the world today. And the final element of Easter faith that I want to point out to you briefly is uh, based on what Jesus says in verse 17 to Mary Magdalene. And these are kind of mysterious words. I don't have a lot of time to, to unpack them. But, but Jesus says in verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. I think what's happened is she's fallen at his feet. And she realizes Jesus is, and is, and is clinging to his feet and worshiping him. Uh, the problem isn't that she's touching him. The problem is she's wanting to hang on to him. He still has work to do. He still... Um, is going to ascend to his father and she still has work to do which is to go and tell the disciples that he's risen and that's the other element of Easter faith that's my half point here is that Easter faith involves sharing the good news that Jesus Christ is alive and Mary Magdalene becomes the first witness in the Gospel of John to the resurrected Christ she becomes the apostle to the apostles and, and that raises, of course, the dignity of women. Uh, that Mary, Magdalene, and women were the first witnesses to the risen Christ. But what I wanted to point out was what Jesus says here and the language he uses. It's interesting. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. And my God and your God. Now, because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can know his God is our God. We can have his Father as our Father. We are brought into this eternal relationship with God through the work of Jesus Christ. And this longing for God, this longing for transcendence, this longing for something more, something more than what this world can offer, the, the longing for eternity is something that God has put in our hearts. And let's not let the world ever squeeze that longing out of us. Let's not be satisfied by the things of this world. They don't give ultimate satisfaction. Because God has put this longing in our heart for Him, right? And let's never be embarrassed about it, church. That we're here to point people to God in a relationship with the eternal living God. You see, the alternative to faith and hope in God, in this God, the God of Jesus Christ, and this is kind of harsh to say, but I think it's true. The alternative to faith and hope in God is to say that everything is basically meaningless. The world is an accident. The world is meaningless. Our lives, I mean, we try to make the most of it, but it's meaningless. In the end, in our lives of our children, in the lives of our grandchildren, it, it's all meaningless. And um, as John Paul Sartre said, an atheist, Life is an empty bubble floating on the sea of nothingness if there is no God. Happy Easter. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. This Christ is risen. This Christ is alive. And that demonstrates that suffering doesn't have a final word. 
and the grave is not the final destination. And there is a love in the universe that is more powerful than death, hell, and the grave. And God proved it when he raised his son from the dead. Love's redeeming work is done. Praise the name of Jesus. So faith, friends, has its reasons. Faith has its personal dimension as well. And it, it, we come to it at different points, in different places, at different rates. But the living Lord is still available to hear our cries and our prayers and to answer them and to respond. And this Easter faith answers the deepest longings of the human heart. May God give us the grace to hang on to it and to share it with you. Amen. <laughs>